0: Well, hello, everybody. I hope you're having a wonderful Tuesday, November 23rd. We're nearing Thanksgiving, and I love food. I'm a bigger guy, love food, always have been a foodie, and uh, I kind of want to have a conversation about uh, these 18 to 25-year-olds that don't want to work, the state of the economy, why we have a 4.4% unemployment rate and 10 million open vacancies in the country, unskilled labor versus skilled labor, and the future of where this country is headed. I'll try to write these down as we go. So the, the, the first part is the 18 to 23-year-old. The 18 to 23-year-old is traditionally unskilled labor just out of high school or... Just finishing college, with just a piece of paper that says that they went to college. It is then upon that person, from basically 23 on, to get the experience necessary to get paid. And from my contemporaries in my in my current field, um, young people are coming out of college at the age of 23, and they want to make supervisor money day one. Now, a traditional supervisor in my IT industry, makes about $105,000 a year. And at $105,000 a year, plus bonus and everything else, um, they have worked 10 to 15 years. They've built the experience. And more importantly, they didn't come in making that. Many of them came in making 55000 60000 and made their way up. But a lot of young people now that are in engineering and in any of the STEM fields really in my industry they they want supervisor money day one which is not practical at all um, a livable wage for a single male in this country is $35,000 a year um, and a lot of them are coming out of college making roughly 40% more than that so there's that piece the other piece is, is that for the last year and a half under Trump and Biden both are guilty they gave a $600 unemployment stimulus check every single week for the better part of a year now you've got 18 to 23 year olds in this bucket you've got 23 to 30 here and then you've got 30 to 45 and then 45 to 55 okay that that's like roughly the buckets of people that are in the current job force and you can determine the market, the economy, the the amount of dollars being earned in labor costs based on the average, median health. What, was it, what is the term called? It's called um. The healthy male work age, which is the age of 23 to 55. So that's that's basic where I'm going with this. They in this metric determine the 18 to 23 you're still figuring yourself out and usually by the time you're 23 you've got at least some kind of idea of what you're going to do there are in each one of these buckets but specifically in the 18 to 23 right now males in the 18 to 23 age bracket have have nearly half half of the males in this country aren't working I'll say it again. A male from 18 to 23, half aren't working. Females is 14%. And this can all be looked up in the Department of Labor and Statistics. This is all available for you to look up. I'm not going to share it. You guys are more than welcome to go on there and look this up. But This is data that has been pulled. 14% of women that are of healthy working age between the ages of 18 and 23 are working, to males, which is 50. That is a difference of 36%, folks. 36%. You have a yielding difference of 36% between young males and young females. The next bracket is 23 to 30. The average male... You want to take a guess in your head? The average male from 23 to 30 that isn't working is 24%. Okay, so nearly half of what the 18 to 23. And then to the females ratio, it's actually around the same. It's around 13%. So we're now at a difference of 11% in that bucket. Ages 30 to 45, males, okay? It is roughly 21% of the workforce in that age demographic isn't working. Females, wanna take a guess? Roughly 12%, 14, 13, 12. We're seeing minor dips. And then lastly, 45 to 55, males that are working. to take a big guess, it's a big jump. 8% of males between the ages of 45 and 55 aren't working. Females, take one more guess, 4%. So when we look at these differences in each one of these buckets, it's significant. Significant enough to make you concerned. 18 to 23, there's a 36% difference. 23 to 30, there's an 11% difference. 30 to 45, there's a 9% difference. And 45 to 55, there's a 4% difference. The one statistic that is driving here is that most males aren't working in the United States that's a real fact this is the average working male in this country when we're talking wholesale statistics this is terrifying women are driving the economy right now men do not want to work so this is this is the first problem that's the first metric and I, I hope you guys are following so the next metric, is the unemployment. So for the better part of a year and a half, and I don't know the numbers, it's $600 a week. Plus you got a uh, an additional like $250. So the average American that was collecting unemployment was making roughly $850 a week. Didn't matter if you were in the 18 to 23 bracket or 23 to 30 or the 40, 30 to 45, it didn't matter. You made 850 a week. That's $3400 a month, I believe. So if you take somebody who is 18 to 23 and they're making $11 an hour. Folks, they're not they're not making anything in contrast to that. If you make 11 times eight, times five, times two, you're making $880 every two weeks. You're making nearly double that a week not working. You're making roughly, you're making $850 a week or $880 every two weeks by working and busting your ass. They did this for over a year and a half in this country. And young people from 18 to 23 who collected are like, listen, I'm not going back. I'm not going to go work at McDonald's for $11 an hour. I'm not, I don't care about unemployment. I'm better than this. Whether they think they're better or not, we've systematically created a culture that has incentivized people not to work. And it's a lot of young males. It is in the male DNA to let the women hunt and gather. It's just a shitty way of doing it. But if you take a man and you do not make him work, he will not work. And this is being proven in the social construct of this country. And it's not just males. I mean, 36%, I mean, 14% of females from 18 to 23 aren't working either. I mean, these are still high numbers for any metric. I mean, you would like to see this around the 3 to 4% per, per bucket, but it's not like that at all. In fact, it should be the reverse, Right young people should be at the 8 and 12% and and older people should be on the other end it's not the older people are carrying the market right now this is a concern because what i'm really seeing tr- from a trend perspective is if we were to take this whole sample set 74% to 26% so 74% of males from 18 to 30 aren't working. That of that are able-bodied males aren't working in this country right now. That is roughly three out of every four males are deciding that they don't want to work that's in that age bucket. That is insane to me. And it sounds like it's an impossible statement that I'm making. But when you factor in everything that we've seen from my Pella windows that needed to be installed just several months ago and how long that took to happen. If I, my freezer that I, that I ordered that took forever to get here, uh, my car getting fixed, which is, I got, I got hit by a deer last week. That's going to take several weeks. Nobody is working. Couple that with the fact that college education is incredibly out, out outdated and nobody wants to go back to college because it costs too much. People don't know about trade schools all of a sudden we, we've conditioned an entire generation of people to be afraid of the pandemic to collect a paycheck and do nothing and just be worthless that's what we're doing and I think you're going to start noticing suicide rates going up within males because the self-confidence of the male has went down and specifically and I hate using my race as, as, a, as a benchmark but white males specifically suffer from more mental depression for many reasons with the fact that they're not being well purposed and and this is all predicated on the social dynamic that this government has created in the last 18 to 24 months with this pandemic and we should be put on notice for it we should absolutely be put on notice of it i'm not going to ta- attack young people in this country you you've got to have enough self-worth and enough re- self-respect to to recognize that you're not doing anything with your life and that you gotta make a drastic change. I mean, I've told this to professionals all the time that, you know, how did I get to where I was? I failed almost every single time from the moment I left the house to leaving basic, to leaving the army. I was not a great soldier. I was not um, outstanding. I just showed up and just by showing up i finished airborne school just by finishing up i finished basic and just by showing just the bare minimum to want to survive in iraq i somehow managed that because i wasn't put in the shit as much as everybody else was i went to college just by showing up i got my college education just by showing up i got my graduate degree just by showing up i have a job so 90% 90% of my success is predicated on me just getting out of bed and going somewhere. That's how simple America is. If you do more than that, you're going to excel past that 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 past that mark. So I'm going to wrap up that segment because I don't want to dwell on it. But the fact of the matter is, is that young males in this country aren't working. The, the, The healthy male American in this country is not working up to um, the standard that they have in the past. And when you have 10 million open positions in America and you have a 4.4% unemployment rate, that tells me there's a lot of people not working or wanting to work. They have gave up on working. So my next point is I'm a big foodie. I love going out to eat, and um, I'm on Yelp. You can look me up, Ryan Fair. I'm on there, and um, I travel a decent amount. I went to Dallas a couple weeks ago. I was I, I pretty much drove I-70 from Pittsburgh all the way to Denver um, this summer. I've I've drove all the way up to Maine on I-1 up the coast, beautiful, went to a lot of different restaurants. And I do a lot of research on the food that I eat. And I, and I did a little review of my, like, 200 reviews that I've done, Ballpark, I'm just guessing. And of those 200 reviews, I, I saw, man, I gave five stars, I gave five stars, I gave four stars, I gave four stars, I gave five. And in the last two years, it's three stars, two stars, maybe a four-star, almost no five-stars. And I'm correlating my experiences at these restaurants to these very numbers, the 18 to 23-year-old. 50% males not working, 14% of females not working, 23 to 30, 24% of males not working, females, 13% of females not working. I went to this restaurant this last weekend, in Pittsburgh it's called the Peppercorn Grill just opened and I had a very subpar sandwich it was like a po' boy sandwich it was disgusting Uh, the relish they put on it overpowered the rest of the sandwich the bread was decent but it had almost no flavor and the fries were cold it was also very cold and the last two restaurants I've went to They've been putting water, chilled water, in a glass and put it in the fridge. They're trying to do the Italian no-ice thing because it's cheaper maybe because they don't have to pay for an ice machine. But the water was tap water. You're putting fucking tap water in these bottles? How cheap are you? I did the math. It would cost you roughly $2,000 a year to have filtered RO, filtrated water, at your restaurant that you put in the bottles. I could taste the chlorine in the bottled water so I know what it is. I know what I'm seeing. I know what I'm tasting. It tastes like junk. So it almost costs you more to chill water than it would just have an ice machine to put tapped ice into a tapped bottled water and call it a day. But it's also worthless. If you're a restaurant and you're doing bottled water and chilling it, if it's not filtered, you're an asshole and you're a horrible person for doing it. Just gonna put it out there, right there. You're just being—you think you're being smart. You think you're being economically safe? No, you're not. You're you're jackass. The second, because we're in America. Americans like ice. It's a very American thing to want ice in your drink. By the way, you go to Europe, they don't do it a whole lot. You go to you go to Asia, anywhere in Asia, they're like ice. What? All hot tea. So I went to this other restaurant in Clarksville, Virginia went to go see my newly born nephew. That was awesome, by the way. Fun fact. And when we went there, my brother-in-law was like, hey, there's this microbrewery. By the way, microbreweries are so 2004. Um, That's great that you're a, a beer restaurant, but living in Virginia, how expensive it is to live there. Everything is so expensive because of the taxes. The taxation in Virginia is incredible. I paid $18 for a buffalo chicken sandwich. $18 for a chicken sandwich at the Cardinal Hall. Have you ever met someone who takes something easy and then overcomplicates life and adds too much or does too much to the process and lacks the very fundamentals to do the right thing and just goes back to the basics? I'll tell you what, the Cardinal Hall was this place. And I've really noticed a significant drop off, folks, with the quality of food since the pandemic, whether it was the restaurant I just told you or the one I'm going to tell you about now. Because frankly, my favorite thing to eat is a buffalo chicken sandwich. And it's so incredibly basic and so incredibly easy to attempt that I order it because even the lowest of IQs can assert a certain level of competence and complete the task with very limited expertise. Yet, this sandwich was very complicated and it was a huge, unnecessary big bite. Like, I have a huge mouth and my mouth couldn't wrap around the two banged out chicken patties. And it had nearly a gallon of sauce on it, which wasn't very spicy. And Jesus, it's messy. I mean, my fingers smell like buffalo sauce for two days after eating there. And, I mean, they go to pound town on this chicken breast with a mallet or something. And it lacks real seasoning. I mean, this is a gourmet chicken sandwich I'm talking about in terms of price. It neared almost $20. I mean, Virginia is definitely the California prices, folks. And, uh, I guess the, the market warrants the price for a subpar sandwich down there, but God, I can't imagine the price it would cost for a good buffalo chicken sandwich. You know, like all things, price really matters to the consumer and their beer with standard military issue like most microbreweries, it's like, congratulations, how did you do it? Oh. But just because supply chains are limited and the labor is sparse, you simply can't make a bad product not to mention the actual waiter like my wife he had his nail follicles just bitten down to bloody nubs and this guy looked like he had been through a tremendous amount of stress so if at any point employer in the next 90 days if if you hear this podcast um, you need to talk to your employee I'm, I'm sure he's going through something because anybody that gnaws their fingers down that much is a nervous Nancy but see, I've been to good restaurants. Like in Dallas, I went to the Mia's Tex-Mex restaurant. And these are basically like Mississippi roast tacos with, you know, a little bit of seasoning in them. They were really good. Very hearty tacos. I mean, that was a really good good Mexican restaurant. But I would second again, it's a Mexican restaurant. Who's working in there? People who want to work. Heim Barbecue. Went there. It was a solid barbecue restaurant. Not amazing, but it was decent. This is in Texas. But, you know, all in all, like, in order for restaurants to to combat the supply chain issues, for them to combat the labor issues, they need to go back to a banquet style restaurant. What does that mean? Whether you go to a family reunion or a wedding or an anniversary party or a funeral, God forbid. There's usually food that is catered in a banquet style event. <clears throat> and I've watched over 100 episodes of John Taffer. And I've noticed that John, whether they've got good staff or bad staff, he usually tailors his restaurant to the strengths of the employee and the staff. And he does it with turnover in mind. So if he's making a pizza, he has a very automated system to where the owner only needs 30 minutes to know how to make a pizza. Like once he know, learns at one time, it's pretty easy to continue to like fundamentally build on that pizza. Whether it's making burgers, he's got a very he has got a guy in there that fundamentally makes the cleanest process, so anybody can know how to do it because it's all just automated. So. If I'm a owner of a restaurant, first of all, I'm not open on Tuesdays. Tuesdays is historically the slowest day of the week for restaurants. And they do everything they can to get people into the restaurants. Hell, there is a literally a restaurant called TGI, TGI Fridays and Ruby Tuesdays. It's like, oh, come to Ruby Tuesdays. I don't even know why that name exists, but Tuesdays are the slowest days of the week. On Mondays, I'm only open for breakfast and dinner. Most people aren't going to lunch on Mondays. So I do breakfast sandwiches and I make them in bulk. I go to the wholesaler and I buy eggs and I buy sausage and I buy bread and I buy cheese and I make 100 to 200 breakfast sandwiches a day. And you go on my app, you you say, hey, go on to It's Fair, it's the app. And, and pick up your breakfast sandwich. It's $7. You pay right there. You scan your barcode. You grab your chicken, your breakfast sandwich and you're out. Boom. Automated. Doesn't require very much. You've already pre-made all your sandwiches. Second step. Lunches. You need to keep it simple if you're going to do lunch. You don't need to overcomplicate it. Only allow only a handful of, issues, of things on your um, menu. Soups and salads and sandwiches. That's it. And and say you can pick from a Reuben or Charles or or an Italian sandwich with the soup of the day. And that's your lunch. And you only make it based on how many of those units you sell. And then at dinner, you only make one meal. You say today is Mississippi roast day. You come to my restaurant, it's Mississippi Roast. I've made a ton of Mississippi Roast. I can I can seat only 250 people. The first 250 people that come to my resta- that restaurant will have a seat at my restaurant. And you can come whenever you want. I've got a table for you. So you've now minimized waste by only allowing a certain amount of units be- to be made. You've limited waste by only allowing certain days for yourself to be open and you've eliminated waste by not paying people for just sitting around doing nothing. And if they don't want to be there, you can man the majority of this on your own. You'd be exhausted. But it's a two or three man operation at this point. You can do that if you automate and streamline your processes. And that's the problem. A lot of restaurants are still doing this off the old model. And they're not making their food right. They've got high turnover. The average cook at a restaurant is making $24 an hour now. Most restaurants can't afford that. So they're paying less and getting shittier quality as a result. They have to sell sell like 10 or 15 meals before they break even on the cost of labor just to get them to that point. So again, like, Tell me where I'm wrong. But everywhere I've went in the last two years in terms of restaurants, it's it's like I find one good place and then I find five bad ones. It's been that consistently poor. Whether it's the waiting staff or the food being cold or the food not being very good or it's missing a main ingredient. That's another thing I've noticed. Like I went to Chipotle and and got a bowl and they're like, we're out of peppers. How are you out of peppers? You're Chipotle. It's a weird time. Very weird time. So like I said at the beginning of the podcast, um, what's the worst experience and the best experience you've ever had at a restaurant? Give me some ideas. If I'm in your area, I want to check it out. I love food. And you can follow me on Yelp, Brian Fair. Or you can follow me on Twitter, It's Fair. It's comma fair. Or You're the Cow on Facebook. Share with me one of your experiences of one of the worst and best experiences you've had. And tell me what to you is the most important thing. And do you like ice with your drink? I mean, to me, I love a fan when I go to sleep. I love ice in my water. I'm just that guy. I like it cold. Maybe you're not. Maybe you like hot tea. Alright, folks. Well, I hope you guys have a pleasant and loving Thanksgiving. I I just want to say this, like, if you're suffering from mental health issues, and and I I can tell you personally from myself, like, I, I do, um, some days are better than others, um, whether it's from my PTSD or it's just from being cooped up in my house because I don't get to go out very much or the anxiety I have of driving in a, with a ton of traffic like trying to go to the grocery store and it's like nobody's working. The Parking lot is like backed up and I don't mind walking but it's like where are all these people. Um, you know I, I get it. You know so if you need to talk to somebody reach out to somebody you can even hit me up on Twitter and say hey fair I'm, I'm going through something right. I just need somebody to hear me out I'm all ears um, as always I hope everybody has again a lovely holiday and um, keep in touch alright everybody love everybody